Hello, everyone, and welcome to Search Engine Nerds. I am your host, Brent Satoris, and today I am joined by Andy Crestadina, who is the co-founder and CMO of Orbit Media. We're going to talk about blogging, a big study that they did, and some of the findings from that study that I think you're really going to find interesting. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Andy, uh, great having you on the podcast. Really excited to talk with you uh, today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've had a chance to talk uh, from time to time, but um, you know, you've always um, strike me as uh, somebody who's really sharp and on, uh, on the cutting edge. And I, I remember you shared with me recently uh, a study that you guys had uh, done at Orbit Media with, uh, you know, talking to over a thousand bloggers, and um, I thought it was really interesting. There was a lot of stuff that kind of, you know, re- you know, reinforced what I think some of us know, but I think there was a lot of like really strong information there. And one of the, well, first off, what was the inspiration for doing the study? Like where did you guys kind of decide to do that? It actually comes from a pretty cool content hack. And it's the idea that in every industry, there are missing statistics, which are basically the things that people often say, but never really support with data. So in our world, it's like, oh, blogging takes time. And everyone says, oh, blogging takes time. But how much time does it take to create a blog post? That data wasn't really out there. It's sort of like a like an information gap. So we did we basically just calculated a little bit of statistical relevance and found we needed to ask like a thousand people how long it took them to write a blog post before we could, you know, publish something that was uh, at all credible and came up with a number and um, and and did that. That was like four years ago or three years ago. So this is the fourth year we just published it again. And uh, and yeah, it's original research. It's an awesome format for content and it just answers tons of questions about the process of blogging. And we'll make sure we get that linked into the recap. We always do a recap and we'll make sure it gets linked in there. But I mean, it's not just how long it takes to blog. I mean, you guys went into a couple different areas, uh, you know, quite a few, but there's a couple areas that specifically resonated with me that I thought, you know, our listeners would really, really appreciate. And that was, the first one was the length of article. I mean, we Mm -hmm. always talk about, you know, length of article. I mean, I don't know how many times I talk with clients or something. The first question is, well, how long does that have to be? I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't really know. What's, how long (laughs) does it need to be? You know, it shouldn't be too long. It shouldn't be too short. But this goes into a segment um, that if I, if I was to summarize it down, essentially says that longer form content works better. Um, and, and there's been some people that have said, you know, uh, that longer form content does better because you take longer to write it. You end mm. up getting more focus. You end up having to read it more often. You have to like put more interest into it, which then makes the writing better, which then makes the content better. better. But mm-hmm. I was kind of interested in getting your perspective on does longer equal better? And if so, what do you think is the reason for that? Well, the trend is definitely longer. So in 2014, the average blog post, according to the survey data, was 808 words. 2017, it's up to 1,142 words. So it's gone up like 40%. So the other, one of the questions in the survey is, do you get strong results or do you get results or no results from your blogging? So we, then we can correlate the, le- the length of blog posts to self-reported strong results. And the answer is definitely that people who write longer, like 2,000 plus words, are much, much more likely to report strong results from their blogging. Now, of course, that's based on whatever their own you know, measurement is. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to say that the, according to the other answers, right, do you use an editor? Do you check analytics? You know, there's other, how much time do you spend on a blog post? The other questions in the survey all sort of paint the same picture, which is people that just put more into it get better results, which 
Brent, of course, to guys like me and you, it really isn't a very big surprise. Well, I think it's something that we've also seen. I mean, if you really look at some of the transitions, Google has come out multiple times with an actual update to their algorithm that kind of basically said quality is more important than quantity, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and we look at Facebook's efforts over the years to kind of limit uh, how much you know content showing up. We just recently heard that Twitter is doing the you know a lot of the shadow bans for accounts that they feel like are not doing quality content. So hmm. we're seeing a consistency of the networks and the channels and the communities where we want our content to be shared telling us that we need quality. So it makes sense. But I guess one of the questions that people are going to ask is, how do I make, you know, how do I expand content to make it longer? Because I think a lot of people, you know, it's daunting to sit down and write, you know, over a thousand words or 2000 words. So mm-hmm. what do, you, do you have any like advice or ideas on how somebody can go up about expanding a concept or an idea to make it longer without being fluffed? Yeah, right. And, and fluff is the enemy. So I'm glad you said that because we want to remove fluff. We want to, we don't want, you know, a, a, a thousand word article fluffed up to 1500 words. We want like a 2000 word article trimmed down, like edited with a scalpel, like really condensed and concise insights. So if you're looking just to cover the topic more in a more thorough, exhaustive way, there are so many places where you can find more things that people wonder, more questions people ask, more needs for that information. So just while doing key phrase research or at any point during your process, right, like you're researching the topic, Google is telling you what the related questions are. It's in those question boxes, right? Or scroll down to the bottom of the Google search results page. It shows you what the related searches are. All those things are evidence that they're related topics. They're semantically connected within Google. So Definitely just just look for the, the clues for the subtopics. See how those fit in. If they make sense, great. If it works, then put them in. Be tight about the whole thing. Keep it flowing. Edit it down. End with a bang. And just choose a bigger topic. Like, don't make anything longer than it needs to be. But, uh, but you know, if you're writing a shorty, it might because you're just writing a, a short, simple thing. Great. Go for it. But, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're serious about making the best page on the Internet for <laughs> for whatever you're writing about, which is the job in SEO to make the best page on the Internet, then uh, then you should be really just thinking about it from more different angles. Do you think there's value maybe in looking at what's ranking? I mean, taking into account that Google's looking at the quality, you're writing this longer form to have an impact with an audience, them looking at audiences' interaction with that content as a part of that authority. Um, would you think there's value in maybe looking at the top five results and seeing what components in similar ranked content is is showing? I I know a lot of people do that. I know people that just go straight to Wikipedia and just or Quora or other places and just try to find all the related stuff. I myself I don't really do that as much. I'm trying to make something so original that I never start by just scraping through or or sifting through the the high ranking stuff. But one thing that I do a lot of is I look at the the suggested search terms. So keywordtool.io is mm-hmm. one of those tools that scrapes Google suggests to find all the related stuff. Uh, I will frequently do that because that's going to show me all the other questions or all the related phrases. And and I use that as sources for the demand, not the supply, right? I want to see what people are look what people need, not what everyone else is offering. One of the other things I'll just kind of throw in there that I, I've done when I try to go longer is I'll typically go uh, knowing what topic I'm talking about and I'll search for known experts. Hmm. And I'll actually send a copy of the article 
to the experts and ask them if they would like to contribute a paragraph or a quote, or if I'm missing something they feel like I should be covering. And a lot of times I'll get responses back that are like, yeah, you should really check out this paper, or you should read on this, or you really should have a section that covers another aspect. And here's mm-hmm. a quote that I'll give you. And so it not only does it help me in my mind as making the content more authoritative or you know, having the element of the vanity clause where you you know, you're going to get more promotion because you have the people mm-hmm. that are included. But I think it also gives a great opportunity to kind of learn where you're missing some angles that could be expanded on as well. That's my favorite tactic, collaboration. We're doing it right now. It, it's, it's great for your network. It's more fun. The quality of the content just just spikes as soon as you get an expert too. I, I, and, and something else, I mean, you know that you're doing content well if you learn by reading your own blog. <laughs> because you, because you got someone awesome to 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 contribute to it, so uh, that that's the killer tactic and one of my maybe two favorite things to do lately in marketing. Absolutely, and you mentioned a minute ago when you were going through some of the questions that validated the uh, you know writing longer content about people using editors, right? One of the mm-hmm. questions you guys had in the survey was, "Do you use editors?" And I think this is a really cool thing because I I I, I wouldn't go as far as to say you know you should ghostwrite, have somebody write an entire article, but sometimes I think it's extremely valuable to sit down as a writer and be able to outline what you want and then be able to give it to a researcher and say, go find me a bunch of information about these different sections and be able to write something and then give it to an editor and have an editor help you in the process. It can definitely, especially when your expertise is what's the importance of the article, Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. an editor or having somebody as a researcher can be really helpful to to maintain the volume of blogging that you might need to do or to just make it a little less daunting. Uh, How how did you, you know, how how have you seen the results in that? And do you use editors at all? I do. And I think it's one of those things that's kind of, uh, I mean, unless you're like one of those just hardcore daily type it right into WordPress kind of people, you know, who just wake up in the morning and blog once a day. Uh, having a process, editorial workflow, like this is like enterprise level stuff. There's a, I have a friend who has um, a company that produces tons of content for clients and they believe in this mise en place philosophy, like in cooking. Like when you start the process by preparing all your vegetables and getting all your knives out and sharpening everything, like it's like sort of the, the ultimate guide, like way to prepare food, mise en place, where everything is prepared in advance. In content, that means like, this team does the headlines. This team does the outline. This team does the research. This team does the drafts. This team does the editing. And there's people who just, I mean, they're, they're masters of organization. You're kind of like this, right? You're like You build the team out so that you've got uh, a, a workflow that can consistently produce quality. It's not just like one rock star, you know, producing, you know, the Don Draper, the genius who just produces them all solo one at a time. So how do you do you, do you ever feel like there's a way do, do you lose your voice ever in there do you ever feel like there's something people should consider to make sure that their tone and their voice is maintained throughout the content Yeah I'm actually not a pro at that mise en place thing and I do and everything that I write I write so uh but the people that I know that do this um, they produce content for clients, so sometimes that stuff is all published under someone else's name anyway. What I would suggest is that the whoever's got the byline goes through it once at the end, because it, voice sometimes just comes from uh, a turn of phrase 
or point of view or changing out a word. I had I have a new a team member here who does uh, who did some editing of one of my articles, and it was what was the word? Um, there was a word that was used that just didn't seem at all like anything that I would have used. Revelatory. <laughs> Boy, I've never written the word revelatory, but uh, it, it made it through the process and was about to go live. I'm like, uh, that's not me. I'm changing that word. Uh, so uh, I think that there is a – it's a good point, and, uh, and I think it's worth the extra – you know, that, that final, that final uh, skim coat of, uh, of editing. Yeah, absolutely. And then one of the other areas that I think um, I noticed in the study that was really interesting was, and this isn't really shocking to me at all, but I think it's more in, 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 in how to apply it. But there was an increase in video, images, mm-hmm. even audio, which I actually thought that was slightly interesting because I was like, inter- you know, audio. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know people are doing a lot of podcasting these days, like mm-hmm. VR and stuff, but it, it was just interesting that people would put audio in, in content. But nonetheless, media in general has, mm-hmm. uh, was showing an increase in usage. Um, and, and, and I wanted to kind of speak to the element of how do you find images? Like that has to be, you know, probably one of the biggest issues that we've had as content creators online is getting notices from Getty images that's like you violated, <laughs> you know, and you owe mm-hmm. us 800 bucks for this image and, 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 and so forth. How do you find images, uh, you know, and how well, should people find images? Yeah. Well, one of the things I like about, about this finding is that the, there's a quite a bit of, it's a pretty good spike in multiple images, right? It went slowly from less than half to more than half, and now 50, 58% almost of people are putting in multiple images, which to me I love because it's that um, the idea is not that each article gets an image, but you want to have something of visual interest at every scroll depth, which if you're writing like 1,500 words, you've got a lot of scroll depth there, so how do you put something interesting every... 800 pixels in a sure. thing that tall. So, uh, it, but it keeps your visitor flowing. Like words are a desert and images are water. So give your readers a sip. For me, it's easy to do because I'm doing how-to posts and they have lots of um, uh, sort of like technical writing, like you're t- teaching things. So there's lots of opportunity for screenshots and charts and graphs and things that build a case, meaningful images, images that tell the story where your show, you know, it's show, don't tell. Um, so I have a design team, so they help create these things. I do lots of sketches, or I, I use uh, Snagit, which I highly mm-hmm. recommend. Great way yep. to do markup on screenshots. Um, if, it, if you're looking for stock, and the definition of stock photo is a photo for which you cannot write a caption because it's not adding value, um, there's good sources. There's good sources out there. Uh, Pixabay. I don't know. There's you. You know where they are. A lot of people know where they are. Um, yeah, there's um, actually there's actually yeah. quite a few free ones out there too. I think there's right. a I want to say it's a Fortune or something article. You always get it if you search for like free stock photo images. There's an article mm-hmm. that's like 22 best places, and they have a lot in there. Uh, I think you made a really good point in there that I just want to highlight for anybody who's listening is that images should say something. And yeah. so often you look at content and there's just images thrown in there because they're like, I was told I had to have three <laughs> images in here, but the images really don't speak to anything. And it, I think it comes down to the skimming. And if you, you know, that's what I think would be really interesting is like, I mean, there's a lot of numbers out there, but when it comes to skimming people reading fast, an image is supposed to kind of allow them to skim mm-hmm. and the image validates what they're skimming. 
right? Mm-hmm. Or it allows yep. them, you know, like you said, with the, you know, how to, it really kind of visualizes what action you want them to take. Um, yep. and so I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a good point that images should actually, um, you know, show something, yeah. add context. Yeah, yeah. Slow down the scanners. Visitors are not reading their scanning. Does that Nielsen Norman Group article suggest that people are reading maybe 28% of words total, like maximum? So we have to accept that our readers are scanning, scan readers. So images help them flow. It can slow them down. It gives them something to stop on and their eyes a place to rest. And also just any other type of formatting. I don't know how to include this in the survey, but bullet lists, subheaders, Numbered lists, bolding, italics, internal linking, short paragraphs, and multiple images. These are all ways to break up the text, right? It's like designers know they need to add white space, but writers didn't get the memo. (laughs) You should add lots of white space. I wrote an article once called, um, you know, One Thought, One Paragraph. And mm-hmm. uh, it was interesting because I had been telling people forever just how you were doing the study to get some data behind it. I was telling people forever that like text is like a uh, breath, right? People need to read and they hold their breath while they're reading and they see this big block of text. It's just really intimidating and nobody's going to mm-hmm. read it. And so um, I started reaching out to a lot of people to get those kind of expert quotes. And it was pretty unanimous that people were like, you absolutely need to break up your paragraphs and, and especially online. So yeah, oh, yeah. White, you know, white space, even just breaking the paragraph, you know, into multiple little smaller sections can be huge for letting somebody feel comfortable in their reading experience. Yeah, and those contributor quotes you mentioned, you know, it's a chance to put in a face, which is yep. an awesome visual. So if, you, if you've got nothing else and you did that tactic you mentioned a minute ago of just including, you know, voices from experts and you put in four contributor quotes, just like a, just like a journalist would add sources. Sure. Your sources are a chance to break up formatting, um, and put a face with the name, um, block quotes are useful, you know, a- anything that just makes it more visually interesting and keeps your you know, it's not college. You're not assigning this text. You know, the back button's right there. So we need to live in fear a little bit of our audience ignoring us. And so formatting is a good way to keep them flowing. So we mentioned audio video. When, what is your thought on autoplay? Well, it's a my I have mixed feelings. And I try never to inject opinion because I'm a data set of one and I don't trust my own personal preference. But since you asked my thoughts, I don't like it. I think it, that it's um, uh, in a B2B content marketing program, uh, your audience is in an office. Just look at your analytics like the time of day. Uh, it's, it's not ideal uh, way to build trust. It's a little bit of a moment of friction, if nothing else. Um, and, and also, if you, it should be, you should be good enough at creating enough, sparking enough interest that you can put a tiny call to action with a play button to get them to... Uh, you know, you should be indicating the benefit. The play button can, the the custom thumbnail can include a call to action. So I don't think it's necessary. And uh, personally, uh, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I always say, imagine that person sitting, you know, it's a mother sitting on the couch with a baby asleep in her lap and your (laughs) audio ad just popped on. Or it's that person at work who's like about to get fired, you know, for reading an article on your website. And I I can guarantee you they're never coming back again after that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Or it's people like me with 800 tabs open and I hear audio and I'm like, where is it coming from? I know, I know. (laughs) I'm looking for the little audio sign on the tabs, you know. (laughs) 
Um, so, so I talked about three areas um, that that I thought were interesting in the study, but I wanted to kind of close out, uh, you know, our podcast and ask you, what did you find the most interesting, and why? Well, there's a question we asked this year that we had never asked before, which is, are you updating older articles? And what we found is that there's most bloggers, 55%, report that they do have, as part of their strategy, uh, an approach of updating older stuff. Wow. That, to me, is a game changer. And it reminds me of this Bruce Lee quote I like to mention in, at, uh, in presentations. Um, Bruce Lee once said, I fear not the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks. I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. It's this idea that maybe we shouldn't, maybe you don't need a thousand articles. Maybe you need like a hundred really great articles, and there might be a greater value in going back and recycling an old URL that already has some authority, or just updating an older post, or finding that thing that already ranks high on page two and just improving it, going deeper, getting contributor quotes, making it better. So, yeah, this is a big, this is one of my top tactics now, and it's a huge thing I'm doing um, the last six months, especially, but the last year and a half have started. Update old stuff. Yeah, Major value. I would reiterate that a lot. I mean, I, I the number of people that I know who work uh, at major publications, I mean, huge, some of the world's biggest publications are using this tactic with mass success. And the thing is, is they're not using it as a tactic, right? It's not like, a, oh, I'm going to go in and take an old article and add three sentences to it and call it new. They're going back and looking at old content and saying, this should be refreshed. This needs mm -hmm. to be modernized. I need to add some elements to it. I need to expand on it. And I think what happens is, is that when people go about this and when you as listeners should go about this is you're looking at content that's already performed. Right? Mm -hmm. so you already know you have something that people are interested in. You're still seeing traffic on a three-year-old article. It's mm -hmm. screaming, update me. And then you're going in with this concept of saying, I'm going to dedicate some time to really making this awesome. And then it takes off and, it, and it, you start getting more traffic. You're ranking for it. And, and you can just continue to kind of re-go re through that process with great success. So I think that's a, a really good point. And I'm happy to hear that you're also doing that. I think a lot of people are having a lot of success with that. But again, it's not not a tactic, right? Mm, it's, mm -mm. It's, uh, and it's a, uh, it, it, it's almost a responsibility. I mean, if you have something that's ranking, it, it, isn't it incumbent on you to keep it up to date because it's getting traffic in a durable way? Uh, it's almost incumbent upon us to keep our search relevant pages uh, useful and meaningful and, and and recent. So, yeah, I mean, before I did this, like, I mean, I had these articles that were recommending in you know, a Google authorship. And uh, updating site links in Search Console, or even talking about webmaster tools, like stuff that just doesn't exist anymore. Like, what am I talking about? <laughs> we have to go back. Yeah. Go back, keep an eye on it, freshen it up, clean house, right? The spring is coming. Let's do some spring cleaning. How do you pick which content you're refreshing? Like, do you have any kind of like tactic or any kind of like strategy for that? Yeah. And this is probably the best uh, SEO um, approach that I know of. Uh, if, if you go to your, where is it? Google Analytics, Acquisition, Search Console, Queries. Mm -hmm. Go to your Queries report and apply an advanced filter to show just the just the um, rows where the average position is greater than 10. Google's it, it, Analytics will show you every phrase for which you rank high on page two. Yep. 
update the articles that are in striking distance, right? Yeah. I think there's a tool that calls them striking distance. So yeah, that's the the lowest hanging fruit in all of your marketing. Like take the rest of the day off after you do that one because you find these, improve them, uh, pub- republish. These things uh, sometimes like less than in an hour, sometimes 10 minutes of work <laughs> can move a can move a page from uh, the top of page two to the bottom of page one in Google. Sometimes like quadrupling the traffic almost immediately. It's amazing. Yep. Absolutely, I love that. I think it's a it's a really good tactic, and I I think it's often a completely miss missed opportunity, you know, in mm-hmm. general. So absolute pleasure. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good information here. Um, again, I will make sure that we link the study and we get the study, you know, information out there. Uh, when we do a recap, I think there's a lot of interesting information in there. Um, want to thank you for joining the show and want to ask you if anybody's looking to follow you, your company, etc. Do you want to drop a couple places that people can kind of stalk you um, uh, professionally without being weird about it? Mm-hmm. Sure. No, anyone Welcome to reach out anytime. I'm I'm at uh, I publish every other week at orbitmedia.com. That's where the blog is, and probably my best network. I mean, Twitter is of course a, a place you can find all of us, but um, LinkedIn isn't a bad place to send an invite and send a message. Uh, anyone is welcome to connect with me there, and um, I'm happy to help anyone however I can. Awesome. Thanks again, Andy. Really appreciate you joining the podcast, and I look forward to talking to you again. Oh, this is great. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, bud.